You're listening to the Jerry and Jacoby podcast, Success Without Sacrifice, a podcast by two entrepreneurs at different stages of life, sharing real life experiences, managing a successful business and family life. It's honest talk about lessons learned, balancing family, faith, business, and personal growth on the journey of making our dreams a reality. Now, here are your hosts, Jerry and Jacoby. Hey, hey, welcome to the Jerry and Jacoby podcast, Success Without Sacrifice. I'm Jerry. I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Jacoby. And every episode, we're breaking down honest conversation about what really matters and how to create success without sacrificing what you love the most. And this week, we're going to talk about fail to succeed and what that means. And what I kind of was thinking is I wanted to call it stick to and what does that mean? It means that you're going to stick to something. And what kind of brought up this conversation was uh, Jacoby shot me a picture of a Filipino weightlifter. And go ahead and share a little bit about kind of what, you know, how that stood out to you or why that stood out to you. Yeah, so this is going to be a really good episode, I think, after we had that conversation really got me thinking about things. And so I actually haven't been watching a lot of the Olympics, uh, but that flashed across the screen somewhere. And um, so I'm probably not even going to say the athlete's name correctly, but I just thought it was really interesting because uh, the Philippines has their first Olympic gold medalist and it says her name was Hitlin Diaz. And so I just thought it was awesome because they were all excited about um, having their first Olympic gold medalist. But uh, I saw that, but the thing that stood out to me, somebody had a meme because memes are the thing, all the rage now. And so somebody had a meme and it basically showed her career or her highlights since 2008, right? So a 12 year run. And it said in 2008, she got second to last in 2012. It says it said she did not finish. So I don't know if that means she didn't finish the actual Olympics or maybe she got last or did or filled all her lifts. And then in 2016, she got silver. And then finally in 2020, she received the gold medal so obviously this year uh she she got the gold medal 2020 because they're calling it the 2020 olympics even though we are in 2021 uh so that's kind of confusing but this year she got gold but the thing that i pulled out of that is you know she started out she was basically at the bottom of the barrel and my perspective used to be that people who were the best at things, they were just born with greatness. They just were born with it. And the reason why they're the best is just because they had talent or something special that they were given. And so I think that's a really good concept for us to talk about. Yeah, I think we hear that all the time. And I think a lot of people's perception is that they're just super gifted. But if you start breaking down uh, the successful people that we see, you know, that's that's not the case at all. I was actually this week, Cooper and I went to Pittsburgh uh, to see the Phillies play. Uh, he's a huge Phillies fan. Somehow uh, living in Detroit, my kid has become a Philadelphia Phillies fan. Not exactly sure how that happened. Uh, blame it on bad parenting, I suppose. But um, we went to Pittsburgh to see uh, the Phillies play. And on the way, I was listening to Grant Cardone's book, uh, Be Obsessed or Be Average. And one of the things that, uh, which is a great book, and uh, I've got like two and a half hours left of uh, listening to it. 
Um, so we'll get that thing knocked out here shortly. But the thing that one of the things that he said, ton of things in the book, but one of the things that kind of made me think about this conversation was that 80% of all millionaires are first generation millionaires. And if you, I would think if you asked most people that they would probably say that, you know, 80% are, you know, second, third generation millionaires, uh, but 80% of millionaires are first generation millionaires. That means that they, so what is, what is first, what does first generation millionaire mean though? What does it mean? It means that I, if, if I were to become a millionaire, my parents were not millionaires. And so I'm the first generation in my family to become a millionaire. Yeah. Meaning you earned it. It wasn't given to you. Correct. Yep. And so we had to, you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps. And then there's tons of stories like this. I mean, if you look at the, you know, Michael Jordan getting cut, you know, Kobe Bryant when he was 12, you know, they just, uh, I think there's countless conversations like this. I'm going to botch this stat, but like Warren Buffett wasn't quote unquote successful until in his fifties. I think that's the right one. So you can, uh, you can just go on and on about conversations, but for, you know, our perspective, what is the, in this conversation's weird one, cause they could go in about 12 different directions right now. But in this whole idea of, is it about the stick to Like I said, is it about, you know, using your failure failures to succeed? You've got a chip on your shoulder. What is it? Yeah, I think all that's really good. I really love Grant Cardone's book, Be Obsessed or Be Average. And so I think he, man, all of Grant Cardone's books are really good. He kind of pushes against the status quo. And I think, Joko, so we're, we're on Zoom. I mean, you just get to listen, but Jacoby and I get to see each other. And Jacoby must have seen my like eyebrows raise up because he just like paused so I could say whatever I was going to say. And I think Cardone is so misunderstood, but I think that's very intentional on his part as well. In that his image, you know, people I think say he's greedy, he's selfish, but it's crazy when you start to break down what he does for people and the content he produces and the amount of people he's helped. Um, I think there's definitely a good argument that, uh, you know, he goes the other way. He's not exactly how uh, he's created his perception. Yeah. And I think it comes from who he, who he is. He's found out who exactly he is. And, uh, but my whole reason in saying that is, is that um, I think his book is absolutely right. You've got to be obsessed with something in order to be great at it. So I think his, his, <laughs> the name of his book, be obsessed or be average is like exactly right. And so there's, there's kind of a paradox there, you know, it's like, if you're obsessed with something most of the time, or at least I, my old perception used to be like obsession with something is not a good thing. You know, and so I've recently rewired my brain. But if you look at anybody that is good at anything, they're obsessed with that thing. Like they, you have to be obsessed in order to be great at something. Now you can't let your obsession take over your entire life, but you know, it's, it's, it's that burning desire. You know, we've talked about it in think and grow rich. Like what is your burning desire? What's that burning desire inside of you? Because that's the thing that's going to keep you going. That's what's going to help you endure all of the hardship and all of the pain in order to get to where you're at. And so 
looking in the sports world is like the easiest place to kind of see that metaphor because athletes, they only train, they only do one thing and that's the one thing that they do. And so it's really easy for us to be able to see that. And so even with this Olympic weightlifting example with Miss Diaz, it's kind of sees that, you know, she's dedicated her life. Olympians dedicate their lives to their sports. And so I think that's really, really good. Yeah. And you see it, it's, I kind of did a breakdown like in, in the different sports. And the one is obviously you got Michael Jordan, you know, cut from his team in high school. And the one thing that I, I recognized from watching the last dance um, that it's a six part Netflix series uh, about the last season uh, that uh, the bulls had the, they're like their big run and it kind of followed Jordan through his whole career was his, ability to create an enemy uh he could um so many of the stories like he just fabricated and he was able to put a chip on his shoulder even if somebody didn't disrespect him he created this story in his head that they did disrespect him and uh, he went out and crushed him and so that's how he you know used it and how you know his motivation because he was uh, he was obsessed not just on winning, but like winning championships. That was his obsession. And then you also have, you know, the story and Kobe breaks it down in his interview with Patrick bet David. Uh, it's actually the, if I understand, pretty sure it's his last interview, Kobe's last interview before the helicopter crash. And it's a phenomenal interview where Patrick bet David interviewed him. And he talks about how, you know, he wasn't even close to being the best when he was like 12 and 13 and he had to decide that, that he wanted to be. And so he took the list of the top 50 and as he played him, he started checking them off. And there was another story that he had told where Kobe was watching a McDonald's all American high school game on TV and a kid played, did a move down low to score a basket and he had never seen that move before. And so he paused and rewound it, watched it a bunch of times, went and got a chair, put the chair in front of the TV and he used the chair as the defender and he worked his feet out, you know, the footsteps it was going to take to make that move for like six hours to perfect the, his, his, uh, the footwork. Next day at practice, he got a ball boy to help him. And he like put like, hours and hours and hours into perfecting this move. And, you know, within a short period of time, he was the move he had seen on TV, he was doing. And that's obsession. I mean, you're, when you look at something and you rework it like that, um, that's obsession. The other sport that I love is baseball. And if you look at the top strikeout leaders, historically, we're all really good home run hitters. I pulled it up. So Reggie Jackson over 2,500 strikeouts, Jim Tomey, Adam Dunn, Sammy Sosa, all these guys were considered great hitters and they all lead the record books in strikeouts. And so you have to fail to succeed. You can't go up there afraid to strike out. Yeah. And so one of the books that I think is really good is another book by Robert Green and it's called Mastery. He talks about um, one of the things he talks about is like Charles Darwin. And I guess uh, Charles Darwin had a cousin named Francis Galton. And apparently 
his cousin was actually more talented than him. He was actually smarter, had a more uh, higher IQ than um, than Darwin actually had. And so the thing he brings up is like, you know, people people have people have talent, but a lot of times people with less talent end up doing more than people who have uh, uh, more talent. And then there's often times when people who have more talent do more than people who have less talent. And so the fact of the matter is that talent really has nothing to do with it. He kind of goes on to tell like Darwin's story and Darwin's dad actually wanted him to be a doctor, but he actually ended up going on this uh, voyage on a boat that really sparked his interest in biology and a few other things. And so, but on that boat, he like found his calling and essentially that's, that's what uh, set him on the trajectory to like learning all of the things that he learned. But in that process, he says he had like an eight year period where he like, he called it drudgery. Like basically it was like really boring. But um, in that time, that's where he like developed his skills in order to become like a really good biologist, which led to his later mastery in life. And so the thing that he says here, so the thing I like here is a quote, it says, in order to excel by their ability to practice harder and move faster through the process, all of this is stemming from the intensity of their desire to learn and from the deep connection they feel to their field of study. And it says, and at the core of this intensity of effort is in fact a quality that is genetic and inborn, not talent or brilliance, which is something that must be developed but rather a deep and powerful inclination towards a subject. And so he's just saying like, you know, what we're, what we're saying here is like talent has to be developed. It's that desire that you have that gets you through uh, to the end. And he says this intense connection and desire allows you to withstand the pain of the process, the self doubts, the tedious hours of practice and study, the inevitable set setbacks, the endless barbs, from the envious it helps you develop a resiliency and confidence that others lack and so i think you have to have that desire right so the thing is you told the kobe bryant story who knows if all these facts are correct or not but the point the fact of the matter is kobe bryant says it said about kobe bryant that he missed fourteen thousand four hundred and eighty-one shots which is the most ever in nba history and so just like the strikeouts that you were talking about in order to be the best, you're going to have to fail more than anyone else. But the thing is, is like these guys failure, they don't care. Like that's how they become the greatest. Right. And there's a lot of other stats. I'll bring up the stats on Michael Jordan later. But the thing is, is like fear of failing will keep you from mastery. Fear of failing will keep you from becoming what you want to become. Yeah. That mastery book, Robert Greene, is that the 48 Laws of Power, Robert Greene? Same? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's got a ton of books, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the one thing, though, if you look at all these, uh, if, if I look at the successful people around me, the one thing that, like when I break it down, the one thing that I see that they all have is they have clarity on where they're going. They have clarity on what they want to accomplish. And that is a tough process 
that you have to walk through to get clarity. At least it's, it's hard for me. And I think part of the reason it's hard for me is uh, I, I've shared the story here, you know, kind of my, my upbringing is that I lived so many years in survival mode. Like, I mean, I was literally like, what is today going to bring me? And, you know, uh, and breaking it down, like I wasn't worried about next year. I wasn't worried about the year after. I mean, if you even look back, like in high school, I went to four high schools in four years. Um, I didn't ever put a plan in place to, you know, that would have brought me success in school. Um, I just, I just survived. Oh, where, you know, where am I going to school? And even when I decided to go to college, I had no intention to go to college. Um, it was like August of that year. And the opportunity presented itself because of my youth pastor at the time. And so, yeah, I can do that. And so it was just, I mean, literally all the decisions in my life were, were in the moment. Um, I even remember quitting a job at a gas station at the time. So I could go water skiing that day. I mean, so it's just like, that's how I lived my life in survival mode. And I, I lived that for a long time. It wasn't until I was in my forties that I started to get this idea of, Hey, wait, I don't have to just wait for life to come to me. I can actually uh, put in a plan, have a destination and work towards that. And yeah, you can. And that, that's been pretty empowering for me. It's something that I'm still working through. Um, I work in a, uh, you know, three one ninety rule kind of role right now where I have a three year plan, one year goals and a ninety day plan to, you know, to push towards those. And so I have some clarity on what I want my business and what I want my life to look like in three years. And right now I'm working on like what is a life plan? Like what do I want my life to look like in 20 years? What do I want my family to look like in 20 years? And those are that takes work. And it take and for me, and I, I assume it probably takes a a lot of work for most people, but it is some heavy lifting on that destination and trying to get clarity in what I want to go. The whole point is, and I want to reiterate, is that I think the successful people, at least that I've seen, have clarity on what they want that destination to be. And that, and I don't think you can have obsession about something healthy without having clarity on where you want that to go. Yeah. And I think that's why that's why like your environment is so important, right? Because there, I think it's always easy. I think looking at successful people and I often, as I look at them, I, a lot of times don't know if they had a plan either. Like when they go back and look at it, yeah, they, they can say they had a plan, but I think the environment that you're in uh, really dictates how you answer things, the questions you ask yourself and the questions you ask yourself will help determine the outcome of your life. Right. So I, I honestly think the more important thing is asking yourself the right questions because the questions you ask are the answers that you're going to seek. And so I just look at, uh, I'll even, I like think of Grant Cardone. Cause I'm like, man, he, he actually says it. He never thought he was going to be where he's at right now. It was because of a a situation that happened almost like a COVID as to where he is right now. It was the collapse in 2008. Mm. He never, he would have never been on the trajectory he's on right now if that wouldn't have happened in 2008. But the question, the answer, the real answer is, is like, what, what questions did he ask himself? Like he says, he we went away into a room 
And he was thinking about how am I going to get out of this? And that's where his whole thing, 10 X, all that stuff was birthed out of that time in 2008, you know, another guy who, and I don't obs- follow. Go ahead. Well, Cardone's obsession was on, I never want, you know, he really felt like he failed his wife and failed his kids, failed his employees. And he never wanted to be put in that position again. And cause I, he, he talks about it in uh, that he was coasting, like he was building it up and then he kind of lost focus and was coasting along. He was listening to too many outside voices. And, um, and that's kind of where, you know, the Cardone we see that is just 100% on all the time, uh, you know, was birthed. Exactly. And even with, um, you know, I don't, I don't follow this guy, but, um, his, it's Dan Pena, right? So Dan Pena, yeah. even him, he didn't, he didn't, um, I listened to a lot of his stuff because I'm intrigued by him. I don't follow him, but I'm intrigued by his story. He made all of, he made his money on it. One deal as well. He like, he, his thing was like, you know, it was during a uh, downtime and he happened to have a deal that he was doing and that deal just blew up. And so, you know, did he have the plan to be where he's at right now? I would say from my perspective, I say, no, he was doing the work to be where he's at. And so his thing is the thing that I learned from Dan Pena is always be doing deals, always be doing deals. You're not going to find the perfect one unless you're doing deals, which falls into failure way to success, right? You've got to continually be doing things. You have to be continually putting yourself out there and the fact that you fail does not matter because one time it only takes one time for uh, you to be successful and over, like they call it an overnight success, right? So it's fail over and over and over again to become an overnight success. Nobody talks about your failures, but most successful people, and I would probably say all successful people have failed at something. And if you're a one-time wonder, like a flash in the pan, you, you don't have that confidence to do it again. Right. And so the failure is a key part of that. Now I do think they have a plan. Like I think Pena and Cardone had a plan. And so I think your plan adjusts as you go. And some of it, you know, your plan is limited to what you think. So your plan may be a lot smaller than your potential. And so as you're going, but the one thing by them having a plan, working a plan, they put them in, they put themselves in the position to have the opportunity to get to where they're at. If they weren't working it and if they didn't have their plan, then they wouldn't have been in a position, you know, for that opportunity. If the crash didn't, you know, come down hard on Cardone where he had to go renegotiate with banks and, you know, where they were calling notes due, he would have never, if he didn't have that pressure, the 10 X would have never come out. He needed that pressure. The it's the whole, you know, you're not going to grow inside your comfort zone. And it's the stick to right? And so yeah. that's exactly what this whole thing is. Like the, the failure is actually the gift, you know, because that can go a lot of different ways. If, if we just use the Cardone situation, it's like he said, all the banks were, calling for notes. If he just laid over and accepted that, it's a totally different story. There's probably a lot of people who did do that. They just rolled over. And so the question is, is how do you respond to failure? Like how, what do you do when that happens? 
And so I think the key point, like Robert Greene says in the, in that book mastery, it's like, or even Grant Cardone, they're saying the same thing. You, you either have to have a burning desire for what you want, or you have to be obsessed with something like being obsessed with it gets you over those failures. Like, what do you, what do you actually want? Right. Do you have enough to, to make that, to make that happen? Yeah. That kind of, you know, going back to Jordan, it's the, if, if Jordan didn't get, you know, beat up and beat by the Pistons for those so many years, the Jordan we know wouldn't have come out. He wouldn't have dug deeper and figured out what it was going to take to, you know, to get to the top. And it was that obsession, that drive to win championships that he was willing to change who he was to make, to get to the goal that he had. Yeah. And even before that, right. So he got, he got cut in high school. Think about so many times. It's like, if you get cut in high school, is your answer, you know, okay, well, I guess basketball isn't for me. Now I'll go do whatever psychology or something, you know, I'm not an athlete. And so that's, that's the question. Are you going to commit to, are you going to go all out for what you want? Like our old, like, Man, that's the one thing I like about uh, what when we were coaching with Kevin Ward, he he talks about like his he always wanted to play basketball and he said basketball was his dream. Right. And so I think he said his dad said there's more to life than basketball. And, you know, he always says like, yeah, there's more to life than basketball, but basketball was my dream. Like that's that's the key right there. Right. Do you have a dream? Is there something that you want that you can hold on to? And so that is like so key it's like don't you know his his father kind of let him quit in that and he's he uses that you know now in his coaching but i think that's a really powerful story it's like you've got a dream you've got a goal like pursue your dream yeah and it's just i think as parents and i've learned this because i'm on my third son so i have a 26 a 21 and a 14 year old and i would say the boys were raised uh differently because i was at different aspects of my life in their, in their real formative years. My oldest, uh, I always tried to protect, um, protect him from failure, protect him from whatever, just protect him. And uh, didn't want, didn't open up and allow him to dream the way I allow, or the way I've helped Cooper dream. And uh, you know, Cooper's got some goals and I'm all about it. And if he fails, he fails. And let's figure it out when that happens. Um, he's, uh, we put him in a Christian school. He has a goal um, to make the varsity team as a freshman. I have no idea if that's possible. Um, I know he's good. I know uh, he knows the game well. You know, I know he's got some hurdles. Uh, he's got some uh, size issues and a little bit of a late bloomer and, uh, so some kids have, you know, pushed past, but that's his goal. And so that's what we're going to chase. And I'm going to help try to put him in a position to do that. And, and I'm going to look at it as a win. If he, if he makes it, that's awesome. If he doesn't, I'm going to look at it as a win because the, you know, there's life lessons in that. And how do we respond to that? Yeah, really good. My, uh, yeah, I've learned so much about the failure thing through my kids. And I, I just think about when they were like trying to learn how to walk, you know, it's like when you get up, their legs are all, you know, kind of crazy and wobbly and they stand up, they don't know the balance or anything. And so it's, 
you know, you're, you're super encouraging to them on how to, how to walk. And so I've, I've, I've used that concept throughout them growing up now and even with myself. And so you have to, they have to fall down to figure out what their balance is, you know? And so the only way to learn what to do is partly learning what not not to do. And that's like, that is essentially how we learn. So I don't even get mad anymore. A lot of times when my kids do things wrong, because it's like that mistake, as long as they learn from that mistake, like that's a step in the right direction. You might have to take the wrong step in order to have the right step. And so the question you may have to, you may have to deliver a consequence that you don't really want to deliver. Yeah. hundred percent. The question is, what do we do now? Right. That's what I always ask. Like something happens, you lose, or even in jujitsu, you lose a match. It's like, okay, well, what do I do now? Well, I go and I learn the technique that I got beat on. That's what I do and try not to let that happen again. Cause if you get beaten, you've never seen something before. Like how can you even be mad? which is a lot of times what happens to us. COVID, that's a first time thing, you know? Yeah. A lot of us got beat during that, but what do we learn from that? And how do we move forward is really the real question. So on the jujitsu, like when you said that, I immediately thought uh, that a couple months ago, you got choked out for the first time. Um, Was that? That was like back last, it was like last oh, was November. It? Yeah. You know, when you're oh, fish, actually, yeah, I've right. been choked out a few times now. So, yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah. See now, like, you know, you're just, yeah. All right, so, but you probably learn from that. Like what guy throws a new move on you and like, I've never seen that, but I bet you you're probably working that in the gym the next week. Yeah. I mean, one of them, nobody else has been able to do. So nobody in our oh. gym can replicate it, unfortunately, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do know what to do in, in the situation though. So it's like, I recognize that, I mean, the thing I did on, in that situation for the, the one time where I had to tap, I wasn't moving forward. So like, you know, it's just kind of, I thought I was in a spot where I could rest. And so, you know, I got in a position where I felt like, oh, I'm safe here. I can rest a little bit and then progress forward. But the thing was, is like, now when you get in that position, you, you might need to progress forward a little bit sooner than where you were at. Don't be comfortable or coast in that position. And so um that's like the one thing i learned from that which has up which has upped my attacking right so now i'm better because i attack more because i realize you can't just sit around and wait you know wait for time to run out or anything yeah. so very good yeah so i just keep go oh, go ahead yeah so going back to uh i, I like i always love the michael jordan analogy because everybody knows michael jordan knows the story and so the thing that uh I was looking at is it says uh, they quoted another meme. It was quoted on Michael Jordan. It says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games and 26 times I've missed the game winning shot. And so I think about that because the, the image that's burned in my mind of Michael Jordan is him winning games at the buzzer, you know, I yeah. used to sit in my, in my driveway, dribble the ball. And the fun thing to do, I'd be out there by myself and I'd be like five, four, three, two, one. And I'd shoot the ball and, and, and just role play essentially me hitting a game winning shot against whoever it is. And so for him to say, I've missed, you know, I've been asked to shoot the game winning shot 26 times and missed, you know, is just, I don't know, but I don't even think about him missing shots. Yeah. 
I think about the last... one day he, he, he shoot he throws up the shot and then he turns around and he jumps like and then pumps his fist in the air. Like I even just saying that a majority of people are going to exactly know what image I'm talking about. Cause it's everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And his last shot, you know, his last shot of his, well, not of his career, but of his last championship is him hitting the last shot, which is what most people think about when they're yeah. playing the Utah jazz. So failure. I think the other thing with failure too, is like we put too much emphasis on it. Right. Is so failure doesn't have, as much power as we give it fear or the fear of failure. And so, you know, just moving past that. Yeah. We have to learn how to handle it. I mean, cause it's going to be there and it all comes down to the, your response to failure and not letting it crush you. It's like that one hit wonder mentality where you just cannot let the first setback, you know, stop you. And, and I think having clarity of where you want to go is, you know, I think for me, that's been the strongest, you know, asset that I have is developing, you know, where I want to head. And so that allows me just to, to roll right through uh, failures. For sure. And fear is false evidence appearing real, right? It's so we, we put all these images of what we think is going to happen. That's the main thing for me is, I try not to live in fear anymore because it's just me concocting up this image of what's going to happen, trying to like tell what's going to happen in the future. And then more often than not, that's not usually what comes to fruition. So you have a choice. You can either be fearful or you can be excited about the future and you can create either, either outcome in your head. So why not default to the good outcome rather than the, fearful and bad outcome yeah i think um in our especially i think like in our society today where we we have this fear and we really try to put ourselves in our comfort zone and that's how like society wants us to live they want you know it's like oh be comfortable and anytime you're not comfortable that's not a you know not good it's not healthy it's you know, this is what, this is what our kids hear all the time. And it's this idea of everybody and not everybody, but it's this idea that people feel every time that you feel anxious, there's something wrong with that. That anxiety is a bad feeling that there's, uh, you know, bad connotations to anxiety. And if you're going to be anxious and fearful about things, then let's medicate that. Um, and I'm not diminishing the, the, you know, there's, there's some levels of mental health out there that I see that, you know, or way beyond my skill set. But what I'm talking about is this idea that every time we feel anxious that we're calling it this, we're calling it anxiety and we need to avoid that. Yeah, that's a real, that's a really good point. I mean, you know, obviously there are people who have real medical issues, but for the most part, what I've seen is like, I actually like being anxious. I like being, cause it, to me, it's proves that you are actually, you care about something, you care about the outcome of what's going to happen. And so for me though, I just want to make sure that I've got the tools and that I can develop the tools to be able to handle what's, what's coming next, I think is really the key point, but you're exactly right. I feel like we've, for myself and like the folks around me, I always try to encourage them to, to have good folks around them, right? I'm not, we're actually not around a lot of negative people anymore. So it's hard for me to figure out or to think about like what that's like, because most of the people that I hang out with or that I'm with now, 
they have positive frames and positive mindsets. Like I don't, we don't allow people to go, to go negative or to, to do those things, you know? And so that's really a key point I think is, you know, being in that environment as well to where people want to be positive and they're looking at the positive on things, not that bad things don't happen, but you know, you can control a lot of those things with your environment and outlook. Yeah. It goes back to what you said earlier. It's like, you know, control your environment. It's come up a couple of times in today's conversation. Yeah. I would throw out another book, but we've already thrown out enough books on this episode. So (laughs) save it for, save it for another, another time. But yeah. So I would like to uh, point out as I, as I'm talking about like clarity, one of the tools that I'm working through right now is uh, living forward by Michael Hyatt. And uh, outside of just being a book, it's a, it's a tool for helping you get some clarity on, on your why and what it is that you want to move forward with, you know, you know or what you want to move towards. And so it's been a really good tool uh, outside of just the book aspect of it. You don't even need to read the book um, to, to gain some of the tools on uh, coming up with your, like your life plan, a plan. Um, so many times I think, um, I've been guilty of having a real good plan when it comes to my business or, you know, or like, especially like my sales, but not really having a good plan for the other aspects of my life. So what's, what are you working on through that then? Give us, give us an example of what, uh, what that's. Yeah. So, like uh, I've broken down nine areas of my life that I want to work a specific plan towards, uh, you know, my faith. Uh, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with each of my boys. Um, my, uh, some people put their family or their, their children as kind of one plan, but my kids are in such three different aspects of life or three different, you know, their life situations are way different. And so I want, I need to break down what I want my relationship to look with each one of them. Uh, my health is on there my finances, my real estate uh, team. And that includes like um, my real estate sales, real estate investments, and my uh, work with EXP and the revenue share. Um, And so I have broken all those down as I've started to outline what I want each one of those to look like. And so I'm literally right in the middle of the, what I would call the heavy lifting uh, for developing a plan for each one of these areas of my life. It's good. And then give us a little update on your 75 hard bringing it up. So and where seven, can, uh, where can, uh, and, and bring it into fail to succeed because I'm sure you've probably had maybe had a few setbacks in there or maybe you haven't, or you've learned. Yeah. So it's gone a lot smoother than I thought. This is one of those ones that talk about it brought feelings of anxiety in, uh, um, this, you know, committing to this plan and then putting it out there, um, that I was doing 75 hard was definitely, you know, it, it brought those up. And so what 75 hard is, is uh, it's a program, 75 days long. Um, you have to do, you have to drink a gallon of water a day. You have to follow a diet. So the diet I'm following is uh, I'm eating 2,400 or fewer calories a day and talk to a nutritionist and that may have to change. She feels, and, and then I'm also doing it. Uh, there's two workouts a day. And so she feels like it just in my initial conversation that I'm not eating enough. Um, and then I'm at too large of a calorie deficit to, to sustain what I'm trying to do. And she goes, that's not going to be good. So we're working through that. 
you have to read 10 pages a day. You have to take a uh, picture every day, uh, an update photo and uh, no alcohol all for 75 days. So I'm 15 days in uh, even the other night when we were in Pittsburgh, um, I had one workout to get the game was going long. We had to hightail it back to the hotel and, uh, at 11:15 to 12 o'clock, I was in the gym at the hotel, uh, getting my workout in and that was okay. Like I didn't have a problem with that. Um, now there has been a couple of days that, uh, man, I just, I don't want to, you know, I just don't want to. And, but we've worked through it. Um, my biggest cheerleader has been Cooper. Uh, he is my reminder. Um, he actually helped me uh, when we were in Pittsburgh. He goes, did you read? You know, he asked me, did you read? You know, he knows everything I'm supposed to do. And so he asked me if he, if he doesn't think I got it in. And he uh, actually, I was going to forget to read and he hooked me up. And so we're 15 days in uh, on day 16 right now. And we're, we're working it. I'm wearing the whoop band. Um, if you know what that is. So Jacoby's keeping an eye on me. Um, actually the, the, I let the battery die on it and uh, that's how Jacoby sold himself out that he was checking in on me. He's like, Hey, is your whoop dead? I'm like, Oh, he's looking. And, uh, I'm sure he can probably look in there and see like based on, he can see if I've been doing a walk in and, um, at least he could probably just, you know, logically break that down and figure it out. Oh yeah. So, I know if you got your two workouts in yeah. because your calories, the calories don't lie. Yeah. The calories <laughs> don't lie. So there's a calorie counter on there and yeah, so we've been doing good even getting to the, not just walking. So I started out with the walking and been to the gym a couple of times doing some, uh, I call it lifting, but, um, yeah. So not to diminish it because it's, I'm getting it. I'm, I'm doing it. And, and the water's been great. Probably the biggest upside has been the water intake, being hydrated all the time. Uh, so gallon of water, I'm probably more like 150, 160 ounces of water a day when it's all said and done um, on average. And so it's been great. It's going good. Awesome. Yeah. So stick to I'm sure yeah. you'll be, uh, yeah. you'll have some more revelations. I, I still been, uh, I still haven't shared it on social media though. Like, uh, so I think that's coming though. Um, you're allowed to, the way their app set up, it's got a, you can share it on your Instagram story. Yeah. I've been waiting. Yeah. I'm waiting. Yep. So let the world know, let the world know. Then you'll be official. Yeah. Well, I'm official. I, I know the people that matter know. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Sweet man. Thanks for sharing that. I guess next week we'll roll on to our feature time to invest hey hey, welcome to time to invest thanks for checking out our feature piece uh, where we talk and we break down different strategies uh, different ideas as it comes to investing and a lot of times we're focusing on the investing where uh, you are not a full-time investor and you're looking to get into investing or looking for tips on, you know, how do I be a part-time investor or I've got a regular nine to five job and I want to invest in real estate. That's a lot of the stuff we talk about today. I wanted to talk to you about making sure you have the right strategy when it comes time to invest. And what that means when I say you got the right strategy is I always say there's a million different ways to make money in real estate. There's also a million different ways to lose money in real estate if you don't have a good plan and you need to have a good plan on what you're trying to do. And so every time I talk to an investor, 
Uh, I talk to them about what is it you're trying to accomplish? Do you have a, you know, is it a one-year goal, three-year goal, a 20-year plan? You know, what is it that you're looking to get out of investing in real estate? And it's, that's very crucial that you answer it. I mean, I literally, I get this question or no, I, I get, um, it's not a question. I get people tell me all the time, Hey, when a good deal comes up, you know, let me know about it. Well, for one investor, a, a deal might be a good deal, but for another investor, it might not be a good deal. It depends. Are you looking to flip the property? Are you looking to renovate it and buy and hold it? Do you want to do student housing? Uh, are you looking just to do a straight flip? Are you looking to just kind of do a fluff and buff? Like it all depends on what you're trying to accomplish. And so you got to you got to lay that out. So when I talk to somebody looking to get into investing, I'm really trying to break down what is what is their goals? What are they trying to accomplish? And as an example, I uh, was introduced to a new investor, uh, someone out of Colorado, owns a couple of properties already here in Michigan and wants to find some more. They've got a good property manager here. They're real happy with the area and the return. And so I've got, you know, a set of questions like, what are you looking to do? Uh, do you want to buy the, you know, they want a rental. And so um, I look as, you know, is this something like you want to do for the next five years, 20 years? And for them, this is a 20 year play. And so that changes, what is it, you know, how are we looking at it? And so when you have, a, when you have somebody that's looking like I want to own this property for the next 20 years, you're looking at it as a cash flow opportunity. And so that property, no matter what property you bring them, that all they want to know is will it cash flow? And does that mean that after all of my expenses and I collect the rent, am I positive? Do I have a positive cash flow? And so I know that I'm, equity is not as important you know, gaining equity in the home is not as important as can we make the property cash flow. Um, some people, they want to just flip. And so equity um, plays a big part in that. And so we need to make sure that we've got um, that what we buy for is got enough spread that we can renovate it. And on the flip side, sell it and make the profit that they want to get in return for that investment. And so it's really important that you define what it is you're trying to accomplish when it comes to investing. If you ever want to have a conversation about what it is that you'd like to do or what the options you would have, because uh, a lot of times it's just really confusing because there's so many different ways to go about it. And hit Jacoby up. Just give us a private message. Shoot us a text. You know, however you can get a hold of us. You can find us on our Facebook page at Success Without Sacrifice. Shoot us a message. We'd love to have these conversations. Um, we have uh, multiple conversations with investors every week, and we have no problem uh, having a conversation with you and trying to help you figure out what it is you're looking to to accomplish when it comes to investing in properties. Thanks for checking out the feature. Now we'll get you back to the episode. Thanks. All right. Welcome back from the feature there. Hope you enjoyed the time to invest. So just wrapping up here on our conversation about failing to success, as Jerry put it, stick to And the whole thing that brought this topic up was the uh, first Olympic gold medalist from the Philippines, just her story, Miss Diaz, of how she, uh, her first time in the Olympics, uh, just where she was in 2008 to now in 2021, which we are calling the 2020 Olympics, basically from dead last all the way to gold. And so, what you do when you fail, the questions that you ask yourself, how you respond to failure 
is the really is really the key to your success. And what are those questions going to be? We talked about that burning desire that you have. That's going to that's going to be the thing that's going to carry you through those lulls and through those hard times uh, throughout your life. Having that burning desire or having a goal as to what your life is going to be about. We also had a couple of resources here that those concepts uh, come from. One is be obsessed or be average by Grant Cardone. Uh, mastery by Robert Greene. And then we also spoke about a lot of athletes, uh, which the realm of athletics, it's really easy for us to see that parallel between failing to success. And so you can also go check out uh, Patrick Bet David, who is the, he's basically the face of uh, valuetainment is what it's called. Uh, but he has an interview with Kobe. I think it's his last, Kobe Bryant's last official interview that he did. Uh, where he just talks about, you know, his story and how he came up to being the best. And so, you know, Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan are oftentimes considered two of the best basketball players ever. But the key point there is that they did not start out as the best basketball players ever. They failed their way to success and they used that failure to drive them uh, to be to being the best. And so hope you enjoyed this uh this conversation that we had, I think it's really vital. I mean, really, really vital to us moving forward in our lives. And so we enjoy all of you all listening. We appreciate everything uh, for everyone reaching out as well. You can connect with us on our Facebook page, Success Without Sacrifice. Uh, we love hearing from folks on there and getting uh, getting involved with the community. And then also, uh, in order to help us out, to reach more folks, we're reaching more and more people every week, but in order to help us out, we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast, wherever you get uh, your podcast subscriptions to, we'd love a five-star rating and review from you. And so uh, we appreciate you. And until the next episode, we'll see y'all later. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Jerry and Jacoby podcast. If you walked away with something of value, we hope you'll share it with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast so you get notification of all new episodes.